George Bush Sr. in the 90s said that we were moving towards a new world order. This liberal economic order was fading into something new, a global order. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, Trump got into office and canceled the Trans-Pacific Partnership you, right away. And that's three exactly. days in. It was the, if you look at the investor state dispute settlement clause in that Trans-Pacific Partnership, it said foreign countries, these investors, these Malaysian oil companies can sue a state for discrimination. Right. If we chose not to buy a Malaysian company's oil as American citizens, they could sue our country. And as taxpayers, we would have had to pay a corporation out. That's what that Trans-Pacific Partnership was going to do to us. Yep. And Obama was on board. And then Trump came in and threw it in the garbage. I don't even know if he knew what it was, what it, what it was doing. I don't know if he oh, thought something he understood. He, just, he just knew there were a bunch of people outside yelling Trump. And they had expressed concerns let's not, about let's it. Let's not fool ourselves and act like there's not so much foreign influence today still in the United States. Though, right? course, I mean, it's just, uh, Apex, arguably one of the very strongest outside influences in the United States today. And it's, you know, and it's not good for us as, as Americans, especially when you're American first person. Well, right? I, uh, but Trump got in office and immediately hired John Bolton. So, I mean, the establishment thing is kind of... No, no, you know, I think... Donald not great at hiring. Donald Trump... It's so first. It was yeah. really bad. Understand, yeah. Donald Trump thought... He was like, I'll play ball and I'll get done what I want to get done. And they were like, no, 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 no. You don't understand. You live under our boot. You know, they, they, the, the, the joke is, you know, as soon as you win the election, you sit down in the Oval Office. Guy from the CIA sits down and just hands him, oh, sits down and says, Mr. President, opens a manila folder and then slides a picture of JFK right across the table and says, we'll be attached and then leaves. Right. We get it. We get it. Trump is the guy who was like, what is this? I don't know what you're showing me. Why are you showing me a picture of this guy? And they're like, um, we're letting you know. Letting me know what? I don't get it. And they're it's like, he doesn't understand what we're trying to say to him. And he's like, look, we're going to secure the border. We're shutting down. There was no Mr. President. We're not. No, yes, we are on the bus. And he doesn't listen. Yeah. So what, did I, what do I think is I, when, when Trump was running, I remember I was in D.C., Trump had a meeting with a bunch of established Republicans. They did not want him. The Democrats wanted him to be the Pied Piper candidate. Trump, I think, genuinely wants to secure the borders, bring jobs back. That goes against their agenda. And so he thinks when he gets in, now I'm the president. I've got to play ball with some of these guys. I got to, you know, there's favors. We'll bring in John Bolton. I think Sheldon uh, Adelstein there's wanted a lot, of a lot, a lot of favors. Absolutely. Yeah. And so then what happens? Russiagate. And Trump, I think, finally realizes, bro. You are being tricked, manipulated, and lied to, and you brought in a bunch of dumbasses. I I question whether or not there is whether there are people in available to fill the positions that are not currently like already steeped in the bureaucracy, right? Like there are a lot of positions that have to be filled, and I don't know who you go with that's actually someone that's not you know that's not already got their their you know significant connections to. To the existing bureaucracy, just because you know, well, that's my concern. Yeah, but Bolton is like, well, obviously, in order to hire John Bolton, Trump had to drive past a local prison, <laughs> drive past a city dump, all better people, and go yeah, way, yeah. way down to the to the Pacific garbage gyre, <laughs> where he got a submersible and went down to where all the deepest trenches of garbage have sunk. And we dig did. even deeper than that. And there's John we Bolton. Could, we like, could have dug up the corpse of Madeleine Albright. It would have been the same thing, <laughs> essentially. And so, yeah, it's, it's terrible. And, and, and so that was what worries me about Trump, too, right? Like in, in 2024, should Trump win? Is like, is it the same thing going to happen? Um, and, no, and, it was. And, and, yeah, and then that's great. And I get that. But my concern is that a lot of my young Republican friends, because I have a lot of friends who are Republicans, tons of friends, are very excited about Trump because of who the VP pick might be. And I think everybody's like, oh, it's got to be somebody like Vivek or somebody like uh, Christy Noem or somebody like that. And I'm like, you realize that like 80% of, of the GOP is still like 
deeply entrenched like neocons, and they have to play to that part of the party, that not the seven percent. It would be really funny if Trump just like came out and was like, "I've chosen my VP." John Bolton. <laughs> I think it's going to be yeah, somebody along the lines of Nikki Haley. I really believe I think that. it might be Tucker, man. Just, I'll put it simply for those that don't know. Uh, John Bolton has a long history of working in administrations and just wanting more. And so he, he had a quote. Uh, I think this was during the Trump administration. He said something like, this time next year, we will be celebrating in Tehran. And so he is, a, he is just a neocon maximalist warmonger character. Nikki Haley ain't got nothing on the war he wants. Yeah. Trump hiring him was a mistake. And then Bolton stabbed him in the back. Yeah. You could do the like hire a cabinet of a bunch of successful businessmen. At this point, it's like like the founders did. The founding fathers were a bunch of successful businessmen that got together and started and ran a government together because they knew what how to run things and they weren't entrenched in the garbage. Right? Elon Musk for VP. I mean, you're talking about getting people that are actually going to satisfy like supposedly the other side of the aisle. The last people they're going to be satisfied with are people that are that are like you know. CEOs and board members. Dude, you, you, you can't satisfy the other side, satisfy the other side of the just having to get back to it here on the on our podcast episode and we're really going through the trouble of breaking down our little discussion here regarding how corrupt and involved the cia is in trying to manipulate the outcome of elections and to control the outcome of the ballot counting process and the machines and little by little what many of us including myself have been suspicious about all along is coming clear and there's no telling how long this little window this little opening in time when we can see the the silhouette and the features of the truth appearing to us here because it's obvious that the cia the obama had instructed the cia to spy on trump and maybe they used mi6 or some spy agency in new zealand or you know all, all that and we're going to go all into papadopoulos here and go back over that again because that was the original initial shock to the system where you have all these felonies, all these federal violations, serious federal violations of law, treasonous acts, acts of total treachery against the American people. You need the John Brennan, total sickening traitor. I think it's going to bear out over time. It's in my opinion that he's a total traitor. I mean, who puts a commie scumbag in charge of the CIA anyway, right? And it's clear now as we go forward that it wasn't like they really thought Trump was ever going to win. Like as if he was ever going to come into power in, in uh, Washington, D.C. and then have to, right? They, they didn't expect that they were going to have to be confronted with their illegal activities and the consequences of it. But of course, Trump won. And it must have been an act of God. It must have been miraculous, right? Somebody, somebody high up, right? <laughs> In the shadowy Illuminati uh, power structure in the background, did not want Hillary to to win. I mean, really, they only let men in their Freemason club, right? So she's been banging around all this time about 
how great she, how she's going to confront Putin, you know, and acting really manly and having a manly pantsuit. And she did have an obligatory daughter, right, to show that she's a human being and not a reptilian, I guess. But to the truth is, is that she has been eyeing that, you know, the Clintons have been eyeing the, let's, let's use the spouse the routine, right? Let's use the spouse with the name, with the, the presidential name to get back into power, right? So Clinton made herself a, a senator, right? And she knocked out uh, Bernie Sanders, right? They cheated him. He was supposed to be the nominee and they went and ripped him right off. That's how these, these ridiculous, dirty politicians, you know, especially these ridiculous Democrats, these leftist, progressive Democrats are totally traitors. They're just these neo-Confederate they're the neo-Confederates, right? They're just the old Confederates of old who wanted to keep their slaves. And now, since they're, they're we uh, in the North, apparently, and, uh, Abraham Lincoln, God bless him, apparently went down and uh, freed the slaves of the Democrats. They have now set them loose to marauder and pillage and plague the countryside and and, and burn down America, right? And this is the final the final act of the the Confederacy. The Confederacy will rise again. It's Biden, right? The Biden the, the Confederacy has risen again. And, uh, you know, what's the old saying from Biden, quote, unquote, I know what's good for the Negro, right? That Those are the words of Joe Biden. So this is an old Southern, you know, style, old school. I'm friends with the uh, the Klansmen, Robert Byrd, right? Best friends forever in, in the Senate. And of course, you can see that uh, Joe Biden didn't want his kids to go to a racial jungle, right? But of course, his kids are animals anyway. He, I mean, I, it looks like he molested his own kids and they turned out to be sick, broken crackheads and demented uh, sex fiends, right? That's that's the, the Biden legacy. So he didn't send his kids to the, the, the racial jungle. So that, that was good. But he was also behind the laws, personally behind the laws that sent all those people to prison who had a piece of crack, right? But if you were upper an upper crust, you know, white boy from from Dartmouth, right? And you had a little bit of powder cocaine, you'd only get six months. But if you're a boy, if you had that crack rock down in the, in the, in the, in the city, boy, you went up for 10 years. Everybody knows about the laws, the unjust laws. They were disproportionately affecting black people and, and incarcerating them. They spent their lives in prison over small violations, right? Everyone knows about Joe, Joe Biden was all behind that. Joe Biden was behind letting the 12th hijacker on the 9-11 uh, planes. They, they say that the hijackers went on there and hijacked the planes and crashed into the building. That's the prevailing story. Well, the 11th hijacker was let out of Guantanamo Bay by none other than Joe Biden. Let's say it together, right? So this guy, he's a total piece of human garbage. And we have to do everything we can to save the Republic and basically get rid of this guy and get him out out, out of here, right? So he he's just the sock puppet because Obama has his hand and arm all the way up Biden's ass. And Obama has his hand and arm and shoulder all the way up the ass of Washington, D.C. And he's over there, you know, they never left, right? Big Mike. And the, the Big Mike and Obama, they're over there getting ready to do the Clinton routine. Well, let's, let's put the spouse in with the name, right? They got the Obama name. They got some kids who, who God knows where those kids came from. They don't seem to be, you know, associated to uh, Obama or Big Mike at all. Or Big Mike Obama. I'm getting confused now. Barry Davis Sartoro. I mean, what, what the hell what kind of CIA op is this? I mean, I, the, the, the PSYOP is making me spin, right? No, these these individuals here, these this power structure, this deep state network of traitors has got to be rooted out, branch and root. Right, we've got to root these people out and get rid of them, and we just have to hope that we're not just inviting another level of backstabbing elite pillagers into the into the White House when we vote in Trump. Right, and you got to look at how desperate these these people are to cling on to power. They're pretty desperate. the The use of the CIA to come into the United States and manipulate in the affairs of the America America's 
ballot process and our voting machines and our elections and to manipulate the election and to trick it out for Biden, right? To, to rig the election for Biden. It's obvious now that it's coming out, guys, that the CIA was involved in that and Obama, it was Obama's CIA, right? And I don't care if they farmed it out. I don't care. I don't care if they farmed it out to other agencies that did the dirty work for them. It doesn't matter. The CCP was involved. They had to make sure that they could shut down Trump and end this process of America reordering its own interests and beginning to once again defend its own place in the world and in the process of making America great again. So we stopped making China great again and we started to make America great again under Trump and they just couldn't have that. And we had the, the, the Wuhan virus, Biden COVID outbreak, right? But didn't that, didn't that SARS, it's just, the, it's just the SARS virus, right? It's just the SARS virus coming out. That's what the COVID is just, it's just SARS. It didn't the SARS thing come out under the bird flu? Didn't that come out under Obama, right? It's just another retread of the deep state, world health organization, world government trying to destroy our country and take away our democracy and our republic from us. And look how their psychological operations are. Look how their their manipulation of the media and the narrative, right? It's so controlled. It's so sinister and so devious. These people are are totally geniuses at being fucking evil and trying to manipulate us and lie to us and stir us up. Just recently, we had that guy come out after he went and visited Ukraine. He came out and said, oh, America needs to know about you know declassified information in, in the background, blah, blah, blah. Scared the hell out of the American people, right? It's just a constant process of manipulation. It's a constant system of assuaging the needs of our partners overseas, right? And making sure we get our kickbacks, right? We want to get the 60 trillion, gajillion, billion dollars over to Ukraine so that we can get our kickbacks. So these polluted and corrupt politicians can glut themselves in Washington, D.C. on this, the expenditure of funds that we have to pay back, guys. I mean, didn't anyone tell you? Your, your kids, your grandkids, and you, you, every single penny that you send to the IRS has got to go to pay back all these trillions of dollars that are being borrowed. So it's time for you to wake up to reality. You're just nothing more than a debt slave. And like Steve Bannon loves to say it, we're just become Russian serfs, right? We're just going to live in a, in a haystack, right? And just milk the cow for our cup of food every day and eat a radish. Because that, that's, what, that's what the future is coming here, guys. Let's face it. So here, let's just, let's go ahead and just rehash here. Let's, let's go ahead and just take another look at what we're dealing with. We're going to go through the, the audio clips we have here with the, and the newsreels and the, the genius newsreaders and investigators and scholars and teachers and academics, right? And preachers all, of all kinds, all kinds of stripes. We have the need for many, many different news feeds. That's what we need. We need as many different sources of information and inputs and varieties of personal, you know, anecdotes the individual viewpoints of as many learned and read people as we can possibly put together. That's what this is all about. So when we begin to piece this together and take a look at what's going on, we can see that these traitors, they abuse the American people. When we have voted for Obama, we were voting for a new era of healing and racial diversity in America that was going to take us to the next level. But is that, is that what happened? Do we, do we go to the next level of enlightenment and technological advancement and scientific achievement did we did we slow the risings of the oceans with obama's weird messianic rhetoric and then for him to come out and to find out that he's such a pervert right that he's been such a crackhead obama has like it's no wonder where the crack involvement came to in the white house with, with probably with hunter biden right where, where did where did all the crack thing you know how better to get your opponent's kids on crack 
I can just see it. It's just it's just par for the course with these these individuals, right? They they're bringing their their street thug antics, their crackhead. Oh, I'm a cr- blood a crip. I'm a crip in the blood. Like all, all that bullshit is coming in the door. All the hip hop rap culture bullshit. It's all stuff that's easily taken advantage of by the community organizer Obama, right? Replete with the weird Malcolm X, um, Barack Obama, right? The name change over to weird, some kind of like pseudo Islamic, still a little bit queer, but pseudo Islamic, you know, weird conjecture leftists. So it's all, it's all on the same side that these leftists who want to transgender American kids are the same people who hate Jews, who love to see the Palestinians rushing over there to rape and kill Jewish people. It's all going to set free the land from the land to the sea, blah, 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 right? Just all this rhetoric. It's all coming from Obama. You got the, the transgender story hour, right? Where the guy, the guy, you got the guy who's going to cross his legs and have his huge, disgusting testicles hanging out in front of the kids, right? Everyone is aware of that one. So, you know, that, that's what we got. It's the literal child abuse, little open, pedophilic, we're going to molest your kid, like soft soft core child molestation in the library where the parents stand back and let it happen kind of shit. It's, it's disgusting. So we're, we're in a state of war here for to, to keep alive, to conserve the the American constitution and the American way of life and the American ideal and the principles and moral structure of American idealism that, as it's always been. And we're here to fight for that and preserve it and argue for it and, and ridicule all these dis- disgusting and sick and profane and ludicrous and to- totally deviant perverts, they're traipsing all over here, like these individuals who don't know what gender they are, what, what kind of clothes, that you know, like the fat, ugly, hairy men who are wearing the lip gloss, all, all that. We're, we're at war with that politically and ideologically and in every other way that we can be in defense, like, right? It's a defensive position. We're under attack and the warfare is an onslaught of you out there in the world here to ruin and what little family culture, what small bit of family love and togetherness and affection that these family units in America can possibly muster, they're going to come over and wreck it for us, right? So here, guys, let's go ahead and just take a look at what we got here. Fascinating discussion, a fascinating look into what the news media will not report on, what the politicians, with their disgusting behavior, right, what they, their, their corruption... There are 17 different houses. Like, doesn't Hillary Clinton have 22 houses or whatever, right? Do you ha- are you able to find the upward mobility in America to get 22 houses, right? Just just a lowly graduate from Fordham University, just a just a humble, lowly Jesuit graduate, right, out there to do better in the world, just here to do some good for the world, right? To look out for women's rights and the plight of people who are people of color all over America who are looking out for, right? How, how are you people of color all over America? How are you feeling today? Has the Democrat Party and the Hillary Clintons of the world and the Obamas, have they been looking out for you? Is your situation better, right? Are the, the cops easily able to more, more effectively protect and serve your community, right? How, well, how's the drug, the drug situation, right? More dangerous and more deadly than ever, I imagine. How's that, the, the fentanyl-laced drug peddlers, right, around your community? It's everywhere. Astonishingly, one of the old uh, CEOs of YouTube, her 19-year-old son died in a, in, a, in a college dorm room in the last week from fentanyl overdose. Wow, it'll reach out and get everyone, won't it? That fentanyl will just get in every kind of thing. It can get in every kind of Advil. It can get in every kind of, like, little MDMA bean, right? Just it's a little extra scoop too much, and yeah, you're dead. You're, you're a dead boy. Your, your white boy privilege uh, didn't extend in 
save you, right? Because the fentanyl war is here. It's here to kill and, and destroy and, and rape and and uh, and murder your your offspring and your kids. And it rapes them by destroying them and turning them into a totally debased and perverse drug fiend before it kills them, right? So hey, look, you want to carry on with this, and you you want to show your face. You people voted for Biden, and you have some kind of audacity to put a Biden sticker on your car or to show your face with a Biden sign. You are the most vile and disgusting reprobate pieces of garbage that we right it's breathtaking how disgusting you are right so let karma let the backlash of civilizations clashing let the rise and fall of nations crush you and and mow you down and roll you up under the under the fucking rubble okay under the ruins of america's fucking ashes i hope that you're buried under there all right because you did this you did this to us and now you're fucking trying to tie our hands down as we try to fix it A bombshell new report alleges that the CIA illegally asked foreign intelligence agencies to spy on Trump advisors during his 2016 presidential campaign and prior to any evidence of wrongdoing by the campaign. Here with the details is Daily Wire culture reporter Megan Basham. So Megan, we've known for some time that the FBI had investigated President Trump for alleged collusion with Russia during his campaign and that those allegations later turned out to have no merit. How is this latest report significant? So previously, the explanation from the Durham report was that the FBI had opened up an investigation into 26 Trump associates because of what Australian intelligence officials had shared with them. So the FBI said the Australian agents told them that a Trump aide had bragged to an Australian diplomat that he had dirt on Hillary Clinton that he'd received from Russian sources. Now, the ostensible Russian collusion intelligence was supposedly incidental, meaning U.S. agents didn't go looking for it. They just organically came upon it during the course of their work, and then they acted on it. Well, this reporting from Michael Schellenberger and Matt Tidy says that's not what happened. Sources tell them that Obama CIA director John Brennan asked U.K., Canadian, Australian, and New Zealand agents to spy on these 26 Trump associates starting back as early as March 2016. And again, that was before there was any evidence justifying such a move. And this was what led to the FBI opening up its unfounded Russia collusion investigation before the 2016 election. So I spoke to Tybee, and he told me that a source directly involved in the investigation told him that the spying was politically motivated. We asked, did this have a broader intelligence community objective? And the answer was it had nothing to do with our relationship with Russia. It was just leveraging capabilities to undermine a rookie, unprepared Trump campaign. They thought they were easy marks. And if you notice, all those stories about sort of the troubling activity that caused these other nations to get on the phone with us, they never actually told us what that was. And I think that was an important detail that that needed to be disclosed. And Tidy told me more than one source, including some connected to the House Permanent Select Committee on Intelligence, confirmed that the spying stemmed from these political objectives. Now, I also saw a lot of buzz about a binder involved in this story. What was that about? So according to the report, potential details about the FBI's investigation into the Trump campaign and exactly what prompted it are in a binder that Trump had ordered to be declassified on the last day of his term. And it's rumored to contain top secret raw intelligence that could potentially confirm that U.S. intelligence agents illegally spied on a candidate and interfered in a presidential election. A memo signed by Trump the day before he left office seems to corroborate the existence of this binder 
but it has since gone missing and its whereabouts are unknown. Hmm. Now, why would the CIA take this risk for what was then seen as a long shot candidate? Everyone thought Clinton was a shoe in in 2016. Tybee told me that it could also just be an indication that this is not unprecedented for the CIA. There's an idea, basically, that the intelligence community does this a lot to all sorts of folks. And in this case, the fact that Trump wasn't going to win might have been a motive for more surveillance because, you know, there, there wasn't a fear that this was going to come and blow back on them. And I think that goes to Tybee's point that while each successive revelation and a long-drawn story like Russian collusion can kind of cause people's eyes to glaze over, this really does have massive implications for our elections. It's completely improper and wildly illegal for intelligence agencies to be engaged in political espionage of a major party presidential candidate or any presidential candidate in an election year. They, they just can't do this. And whether they dress it up as foreign surveillance or not, it's just not allowed. So Tybee tells me that he and the other independent journalists he's working with still have more leads to pursue, and they do expect to report out some further details. Well, it'll be interesting to see what they find. Yep. Megan, thanks for reporting. Anytime. So here, as we try to do our best to refocus our discussion back on the, the main topic here, to refocus our discussion back here on the main topic, you can see that this this underbelly and this kind of seething corruption that's been developing in Washington, D.C. is ultimately like some kind of germ culture, right? Some kind of uh, virulent, out-of-control, metastasizing plague. And these, uh, these individuals that go up there uh, to Washington, D.C. and get involved with this whole the facilitation of this entire tyrannical empire that's unfolding here are ultimately going to succumb to all the many variety of temptations and, and pitfalls that are, you know, that are inherent in operating in Washington, D.C. And the whole game up there is to try to find a way to, you know, have Fordham and, and Georgetown and Scranton University and a myriad of other agencies that are there to extend the power of the, the present world order are working diligently day and night trying to chisel away, right? They're little chiselers. They're slowly, slowly working to erode the, the columns and the moral basis and the historical patriotic principles by which this entire country was stood up. And if you listen to these these traitors, who, in my opinion, we should we should hang them by a rope. And when and this is the kind of this kind of like out of control and dangerous and kind of murderous lynching that the populations take to when the government no longer really is listening or responding to their needs or you know trying to fold them up into a system of laws that doesn't comport with the generations and generations from time immemorial about how people are to live and what moral principles are all about or how we arrive at our beliefs about being truthful and, you know, honoring your mother and father, all that. The, the entire edifice of our moral belief system is being forcefully annihilated. And in this place, we uh, are expected by the force of a law, right, by the, by the force of law, by the, by the tip of the gun, by some, you know, eager deputies, eager, obedient, compliant police officials who, who will pull the trigger. How many people did you see get arrested for, you know, beaten for not you know, taking the masks or, you know, not wearing masks like in public, especially up in Canada? Did you see the one woman, the Canadian, like, psychopath just picks her up by the throat and starts carrying her and just choking the, choking the life out of her because she doesn't wear a mask? So, yeah, that's where we're getting to this place of unfounded and reckless injustice, you know, pouring down through the halls of what we used to call the Justice Department. And what we used to understand is, to be a, a judicial system that was blind and was 
formulated to be fair and equal and unbiased, and crime and violations of people's rights were punished. And so now you see that that's, that's no longer happening. And I remember when uh, and it occurs to me how devastating it is for the whole society when this prosecutorial system comes along with all the bailiffs and all the turnkey jail cops, right, who just, who just keep people in their cells. They don't, they don't have guns, you know, they, they have pepper spray, and they just they beat you with a baton, and you stay in your cell, and you eat your sandwich, and then they let you out someday. That, that entire structure, the entire apparatus of supposed law enforcement and justice in this country, once it becomes tainted, once it, once it becomes despoiled, and there is an underlying agenda in the background that's no longer American or constitutional or patriotic, but it's just the, the law enforcement desires of certain judges. Or you got to get certain compliant judges. Got to send them to certain law schools. Got They have to have a head full. They have to have a chip on their shoulder. They have to have a head full of a corrosive Marxist venom. And so they're there in you know in the judges' chambers not to carry on the rules and the procedures and the practice of law, but they're there to ultimately use the power that they're given to attack their political enemies. And a lot of these individuals you're seeing lately are being set up, staged, and framed into place as the provocateurs and the agents of dissimulation and destruction that they are. And so a lot of these judges are going to be female judges, right? Who are coming out of the, the 90s and the 2000s era of like liberal bias, progressive thinking, right? So all this kind of the racial lens through which they have to look at law enforcement and criminality and, and crime is in place. So they're going to you know, naturally you know, be funded by Soros and be there to, to be the enforcement arm of this world economic forum, globalist government, neo-Marxist, uh, neo-Bolshevik revolutionary overthrow of America. And a lot of people are going to get hurt, the old people. So just you have to go back to the Red Brigades in China, all the old people. Do you wear glasses? Do you like to read books? Do you have books on your shelf? Right? It'll be pretty easy for them to come and find you, you know, because now, you know, if you read or have any knowledge, it's it's too white, right? It's too male, it's too pale, it's too stale, or whatever. And so that, that, those mantras that are coming, those are the, the people you can just wave it off now and dismiss it now. But later on, these young people who are in these schools, right? Did you, you know, the, apparently the Pentagon is in control of the of some 70,000 uh, school children who go to their schools right of the officers or whatever of the pentagon people and they're they're drumming this dei thing in deep and deep and hard and right deep in the heart deep into the ribs deep into the bloodstream of these future generations who are in pentagon schools right so have no doubt about what they're bringing about here they're trying to have individuals come into place here in america who will be law enforcement officers who are not even you know from america or they haven't even like legally migrated here Right, so these these kind of individuals are going to be used for their callousness and used for their ability to obey illegal laws and illegal enforcement of laws against the the, the natural people of the country, who will say are the natives. But you know that, that argument will be made that these are white settlers settlers from Europe. They have displaced the indigenous population of American Indians. Right, so that you know the argument historically and politically is framed into place. For the total destruction and the annihilation of a certain particular group of people in this country who, right, you could be from Czechoslovakia, you could be from South Africa, right, you could be from Ukraine, or you could be from Russia, right? So these people, won't, they, we won't matter because they'll just see that you have a low melanin content in your skin and that you have a light complexion and they're going to come for you and they're going to come right for you and your family and they're going to destroy you, right? That, that's that's the plan. That's That's the... The new Jacobin, right? Slave revolt of, of Haiti, right? Think, think like big picture here. What's what's about to go down? 
And so in order to understand how replete, how deeply ingrained this agenda for the destruction of, of, of America's population, and in particular its patriotic Christian nationals, I guess that's the new that's the new buzzword. That's the new vituperation, right? The new term of disgrace and indignity that they're using their mockingbird press, right? And they're out of control, hyper political, hyper partisan media brainwashing instruments, right? To to convince everyone that maybe of course you have to understand these people are not nationalists and they're not Christians, right? And of course Hitler was an evil genius and carefully destroyed the concept of and the political term of nationalism for the annals of history, for the chronicles of the, the the legacy of Europe. We're supposed to understand the word national or nationalism in the under the parentheses of Nazis. Right. So I'm not sure there was the German Third Reich Nazi Party who used that term. And I'm not really sure what was so nationalist or Christian about them. I think we all agree that they were just an outbreak of military dictatorship that caused a war that nearly destroyed all the historical, historically Protestant and liberal countries. And so we can't look at Hitler as a nationalist or as a Christian. And, you know, in this term Christian nationalist that they're foisting on us like some kind of petard that they're going to try to hang us with, we have to recognize that there's the longstanding and historical systematic warfare that's been underway against this country, and it takes these many forms of the United Nations, it takes these different shapes of the climate control debate or whatever, where they, you know, the next lockdown crisis will be the, the climate control, we'll, we'll do climate control lockdowns and make people stay in their homes, right? All these different a arguments, the transgender arguments about people's feelings about their gender inside their, it's deep in their heart, in their bleeding heart, right? I feel differently. Right, and just the way that the, the, you have these men disgracing women who are who are really naturally healthy women, I think they have both of their X chromosomes, and you have these men coming along and just disgracing womanhood by trying to dress up like Barbie or whatever. It's it's just disgusting. So th these are the various, and then of course you have the border, tens of millions of people pouring pouring over. You have the collapsing currency. So we can go on and on. We can just show you the very many different ways that the, the great lengths that these people are having to go to in order to dismantle. And undermine the constitutional foundations of this country. And let's, um, in order to, like, as we're doing this episode, to discover more about how we can see the, the tentacles and the hooks and the venomous corruption of this fate that is, that is uh, befalling America, we have to look no farther than how far the, well, let's say the, uh, the Obama, Clinton, and Biden crime syndicate would go to try to set the central intelligence agencies against their political adversaries. And let's listen to Dinesh D'Souza. right it's now a time for a word from our awesome sponsor wendy's boutique limited wendy's limited.com and wendy's limited.com is offering the hottest new designer trends and brand name couture fashion styles so you have to hear about wendy's boutique 
Wendy'sLimited.com. Wendy'sLimited.com now has designer women's apparel and fine jewelry, sexy boutique fashions, very best prices online. And you know that at Wendy'sLimited.com, uh, they know what a woman is, or what a woman really is, right? So if you're a beautiful woman or if you know a beautiful woman, and if you don't, stop listening to this show, okay? Right now, just stop. But if you happen to know a beautiful woman and you are a beautiful woman, you have to know about Wendy'sLimited.com. So these are the, the sexiest boutique fashions anywhere, very best prices online, beautiful luxury products, guaranteed authentic, guaranteed, no Chinese knockoffs ever. So this is the real deal. This is the real, real, the legit, best prices, hottest couture gear, fragrances. We had Tom Ford shades, great deal on the Tom Ford shades. Everybody loves Tom Ford shades. So you can expect to find Gucci apparel, Hermes shoes. Prada jewelry, all at wendyslimited.com. And you got to remember, wendyslimited.com is really now famous for canceling Balenciaga when it mattered, right? So we're not having any of that over here. This is a woman-owned enterprise, all-American, family-run organization, wendyslimited.com, wendyslimited.com. you got to come join the craze. Hottest new designer trends, guys. Wendy's Boutique Limited, we need your support. And uh, she's been courageous to support the show, wendyslimited.com. preposterous she herself gets some of that money back because he turned around and spent the money on her now fanny willis produced this uh, sort of far out and i would say preposterous on the face of its story that for all these trips they took together and all these vacations and cruise tickets and airplane tickets and money they spent that that wade paid on his credit card and she paid him back in cash in other words she was unable to produce uh, receipts to say, here's all the money I paid him back. Here's the proof I did it. Here are the checks I wrote. She even denied she went to the ATM to get the money because presumably you could go to the ATM and see if it was in fact the case. At least is she on the surveillance cameras of those ATMs so she can say, oh, I used to go every Tuesday to the ATM and get the money. But no, she claimed, I just kept cash in the house, large amounts of cash. This is sort of what black people do. My, my dad taught me to do this. So this is a case where the excuse is ridiculous. It makes no sense. Nobody watching the, this, this case, uh, and even the MSNBC legal analyst watching it was like, this looks really bad for Fannie Willis. So the truth of it is that the judge should, uh, I mean, he should throw Fannie Willis and Wade off the case. There might even be uh, reason to disbar Fannie Willis. There may be even criminal charges that could come later. But the starting point would be she can no longer prosecute this case against Trump. And by the way, that would be a devastating blow to the case. It's not even the clear the case could get back off the ground uh, if that happens. But the judge could, in a sense, say if he wants to, and this comes to what, you know, judges don't like to admit that they have predispositions. I'm looking for a way to save Fannie Willis. But the truth is that judges and very often jurors do. They're they like the person, for example, who's accused of murder. He seems like a good guy, a family man. I'm looking for reasonable doubt. I'm looking for a way I don't have to convict him. And, and here the judge might say, well, you know, we can't prove that Fannie Willis didn't have cash in a home. We can't prove that she didn't pay him back, even though from a human point of view or a contextual point of view, it really doesn't make any sense to believe that she did. Now, 
Let's turn to the the um, the uh, Judge Engeron case, where something very interesting is happening after this horrendous verdict, a verdict that has sent shockwaves through the real estate industry. Uh, in fact, in fact, uh, Kevin O'Leary, this is the Shark Tank guy. This is the guy who deals with real estate, uh, has said on television more than once, everybody in real estate attaches a kind of exaggerated value to their properties. Why? Because because property values are subjective. You buy a house for $5 million, you can then sell it for $6 million, $8 million, $10 million. It all depends. Depends on how much the guy who wants to buy it will pay for it. So what's the value of Mar-a-Lago, of Trump Tower? Is it possible to just look at an appraisal, often an appraisal made for tax purposes? Uh, I can tell you, if you look at my house right now, there's a tax appraisal, which is essentially an incremental increase of the value of the house over the years. And then there's what I could sell it for, which is a completely different number. And that's normal. So Kevin O'Leary was saying that, listen, it's customary to have this back and forth with banks. I have a building. It's 35 stories. I say it's worth half a billion dollars. Uh, I want to get a loan based on that. You say it's worth 300 million. Uh, we argue about it. Maybe we agree. Let's go with 400 million and you give me a loan for 400 million. This is the normal give and take. Banks have their own appraisers. And this only becomes an issue if somehow the bank claims, hey, listen, you, you told me lies about your property. Uh, I, I took action based upon that. I lost a whole bunch of money. In this case, the, the case admits, the judge admits that the banks didn't lose money. The bank put forward witnesses that said, we didn't lose money. In fact, we do it again. This is our normal practice of doing business. So the case is ridiculous. The verdict is absurd. Uh, it'll probably be overturned on appeal. At least I hope it will. Uh, and uh, But here is Ka the governor of New York, Kathy Hochul, assuring New York real estate um, businesses that they will not be targeted for inflating valuations to secure better loans like Trump did. Think about what she's really saying. She's saying, you guys have nothing to worry about. We know, she's saying implicitly, we know that you do the same thing as Trump did. You make a claim for what your property is worth. Uh, the banks then evaluate that claim. They decide. So it's a free market. They decide if they want to make the loans. We're not going to call you into court and have a judge decide, no, you misrepresented the values of your property. Why? Because this would destroy the real estate business in New York. So what the governor of New York is admitting is they had to do a one-off prosecution of Trump. Trump and Trump alone is going to be targeted for this crime. This is something that uh, Democratic officials campaigned on. What they're basically saying is we carried out our campaign pledges. We got this guy. We found a friendly judge and an ideologue. So in other words, we carried out our witch hunt. And our witch hunt, at least to this point, has been successful. Uh, and it has been successful to the degree that Trump now has to post a giant bond while he appeals the case. So this is all a way of tying him up financially, tying up, him up in litigation, tying him up with regard to his time in, in, all, in all kinds of ways, disabling his businesses, making it more difficult for him to successfully carry out a campaign for president. That is really what that is all about. Quite frankly, Debbie and I got a little tired of having to replace our trees every time we had a freeze. We went tropical. And there's nothing worse than hearing about people living in pain. This is why I want to tell you about Keith from Washington. And um, you'll feel the difference. 
Guys, I'm really happy to uh, welcome back to the podcast uh, a friend, George Papadopoulos. And you know George Papadopoulos. He was the, well, one of the primary targets, maybe the original target of the Trump spying, uh, the, camp the, the spying campaign to get Trump and to get th Trump through uh, Trump's advisors. George is an author. He's a former member of the Foreign Policy Advisory Panel to Trump's 2016 presidential campaign. He's also, uh, his book, which is more timely than ever, Deep State Target, How I Got Caught in the Crosshairs of the Plot to Bring Down President Trump. You can follow him on social media at GeorgePapa19. George Papadopoulos, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for joining me. Uh, it seems like your story and your book are have sort of bounced right back into the headlines with some uh, interesting new reporting and new uh, revelations about the spying campaign conducted against you uh, and against uh, the Trump campaign. I, I want to start by actually just talking about your story, your description of that, of how that took place. Uh, and then we'll come to what we have learned recently and how that ties into your story. So, so kind of begin with the fact that here you are, you're you know, kind of a low guy on the totem pole. You're not running the Trump campaign, you're, but you are working for the Trump campaign and you're based in Europe. Uh, and maybe that's one of the reasons that you came into their, into their sites. Talk about what happened. Uh, so, Dinesh, it's great to be back with you in this uh, very, very timely uh, talk that we're going to have uh, based on the bombshell story that Matt Taibbi and Schellenberger released regarding uh, which what I think is probably the most uh, devastating piece that has ever been written against uh, the U.S. and foreign allied intelligence services. And what uh, my story is at the epicenter of is this scandal in which both the CIA, along with Western intelligence, including British MI6 and Australian intelligence, Canadian intelligence and New Zealand intelligence, worked hand in glove with the Obama administration to sabotage not only the Trump campaign, but of course, later on the Trump administration. So the story is that I left the Ben Carson campaign where I was working as a foreign policy advisor after a career in Washington, D.C. at a very establishment, a think tank called the Hudson Institute. And according to the reporting, um, Trump wasn't the only candidate that was being spied on. Ben Carson actually was one of the 26 individuals that was targeted by the CIA and uh, Western intelligence. So I believe that there was a mark on particular individuals, obviously the 26 various candidates. I just happened to join two candidates who were targeted. And the moment I joined Trump's campaign, that uh, you could understand that this thing was predetermined and uh, completely fabricated. I mean, one of the, I think, uh, aspects of this new reporting is simply the notion that, I mean, the, the U.S. intelligence agencies made it seem like the foreign intelligence agencies were worried about Russian infiltration into the Trump campaign. They came to the U.S. intelligence agencies and said, uh, hey, guys, we've got this stuff. And then the U.S. intelligence agencies went, we better look more into this. But it sounds like from Taibbi and Schellenberger that the truth is the exact opposite, that it was the U.S. intelligence agencies that kind of called up, recruited these foreign intelligence agencies and basically said, we need your help. Let's work together. So it was uh, the point being that this was initiated. It was baked. It was cooked. Uh, it was launched out of the United States and not 
sort of information provided from abroad? Dinesh, at, at the very least, uh, according to the reporting that we have seen, the behavior conducted by the CIA with uh, Five Eyes was tantamount to a criminal conspiracy against the Trump campaign. That's exactly what was described and what, what you just uh, explained. At the very worst, what they did was actually subvert the democratic process of the United States uh, in a matter that has now impacted three different elections at a minimum, 2016, 2020, of course, where we had the CIA willfully suppressing the Hunter Biden story with the 51 intel agents, which obviously tilted the election, arguably. And of course, now with these revelations, you have both domestic and foreign implications. Domestically, you have Feist up for renewal. Uh, you have the, uh, the funding for Ukraine in this war with Russia. And of course, globally, as I mentioned in recent uh, interview with Avery Bartiromo as well, how does the U.S. conduct in diplomacy if they can't trust our allies? If you or I or a Trump official or a Biden official, for that matter, is having an intimate meeting with their British counterpart or their Australian counterpart, which are supposedly our closest allies, how are we now, based on this reporting, expecting that this individual across from the table from us is not going to spy on us or relay that information to the opposition, perhaps to an enemy counterpart? This is really the biggest impact I see from this story, and I think it's going to rock how the United States actually conducts its bilateral relationship with these countries and potentially even Russia and others. So um, I think uh, this is some of the fallout that we're just now beginning to see. And I think there's going to be a lot more uh, moving forward. I mean, one other aspect, George, that caught my attention, and it, it affirms your point that this has a, a relevance even for 2024, was the suggestion that the Mar-a-Lago raid might have had an ulterior motive. In other words, Trump has these documents and uh, there is apparently a missing file, a missing file that might reveal the extent of the CIA and U.S. intelligence agencies spying on the Trump campaign. That file, uh, which is missing, uh, that may be what the, what the intelligence agencies figured is, well, maybe it's at Mar-a-Lago. So let's do this big raid on Mar-a-Lago. It'll have to have some sort of pretext or excuse but one of its real purposes is to locate this file because we don't want this file to get out. It might contain far more information than people already have. So in other words, a continuation of the same nefarious operations, all of them camouflaged as legitimate. Well, you know, he took the documents, he should have given them back. Uh, and so the raid is presented as on the up and up. But in fact, would you be surprised to discover that it had this kind of an ulterior motive? No. Uh, in fact, um, we, we, we've seen a disturbing pattern over close to a year now, Dinesh, where anytime there's positive news coming out about either President Trump, the MAGA movements, America First candidates, uh, a day to 72 hours later, there's always some sort of reaction by the Biden administration. You had the Hunter laptop story being verified, the raid on Mar-a-Lago. You had uh, America First candidates uh, doing well in the blast primaries. You had various other distractions coming out. Every single time that a story of this magnitude impacts either the U.S. intel agencies or the Biden family, there's always uh, this type of reaction. So uh, I believe that uh, it was while it was a good idea to impeach Mayorkas, 
for the disaster at the border, if it is indeed proven that Garland instructed the FBI to raid a former president's house for the principal purpose to take criminal uh, evidence against President Obama and potentially the sitting U.S. president, that I think impeachment should be the last of Garland's concerns at this point, and a potential indictment in a future administration should be on the table because what you're looking at essentially is a cover-up, a criminal scheme, a conspiracy to not only defraud the United States, but obviously to cover up the crime of the century. So I think if Trump has these files at Mar-a-Lago still and the FBI did not retrieve them, he has president at all authority to declassify them. He should actually present them now to the public and say, I have it here. This is what they were coming for. They didn't get it. The files are verified, and this is going to continue to trickle out over the next months leading up to the election. So I think that's really um, where we are in that in that um, topic. I mean, George, that's a brilliant idea, and and I would even say this that the that um, what's interesting about the presidential immunity case, which is now before the Supreme Court, the issue being, of course, what is the extent? Does Trump have absolute immunity? for his actions as president. Let's hypothesize that the Supreme Court decides no. Trump has some immunity, but he doesn't have absolute immunity, uh, and that his immunity uh, certainly does not extend to, the, to when he is no longer president. Well, it seems to me that we have now a, a wonderful reason to criminally indict Obama if we have the means to do so. In other words, if Trump wins the election, the the new attorney general needs to say, all right, let's look and see if there are actions that Obama took as president that were, in fact, criminal actions. Obviously, we now learn from the Supreme Court that these are no longer or they're not protected by the Constitution. Uh, and there's no reason that we can't hold Obama accountable. You see that as a I mean, I don't know if that's likely, but could it happen? Uh, Dinesh, you explained it very well. The, the precedence has now been set. And, uh, of course, uh, when you're discussing an operation at this level, uh, which basically subverted our 2016 election and sabotaged uh, an entire administration, and you look at the type of partners involved here from high-level ambassadors, prime ministers, CIA heads, MI6 chiefs, uh, potentially Mossad, uh, according to the uh, Taibbi uh, article, were referenced in some sort of connection to the city of Rome. That type of, I guess, if you want to use the old uh, word, the coalition of the willing, could never have been put together unless the sitting president of the United States of America, which was then, of course, President Obama, did this because our U.S. allies are not in the business to go out of their way to potentially sabotage their own assets and to expose their methods and sources that go into this type of sensitive work, especially against American citizens working on presidential campaigns candidates and presidents. So now that the precedent has been uh, set, that you can indict and uh, bring a uh, former president in front of courtrooms and uh, try and embarrass him and give him mud shots over the most uh, obscure, baseless charges that are, I mean, these are laughable charges that are completely politicized at this point. I think when you're looking at a uh, crime of a century, like was revealed last week, including conspiracy, I think Obama should be worrying right now, Dinesh. Let's take a pause, George. When we come back, uh, I mean, you're, you've had the rare experience of 
being on the ground and experiencing how this kind of a uh, very sly campaign is carried out. It's carried out by people who pretend like they're your friends, they're your business associates, they're just having a sort of swapping of information type of meeting, but in fact, they're trying to get you to say something, to admit something, and then boom, they're ready to spring the trap. Uh, when we come back, let's talk more about how that actually happened. As Christians, from the brand new kitchen towels to the bat. I'm back with the one and only George Papadopoulos. Follow him on social media at George Papa 19. His book, More Timely Than Ever, Deep State Target, How I Got Caught in the Crosshairs of the Plot to Bring Down President Trump. And this is exactly, George, what I want to talk to you about. Uh, as I mentioned, you went through it. You experienced it firsthand. A lot of times when these things happen, people are intrigued about the mechanics of it. Like, how did it go down? So can you pick the story up with you're a young staffer for Trump. You're in Europe. What is the year? Uh, what is the rough time period? And what happens first? So, um, and, and I always reference this now to the Taibbi article because for so many years, and that's unfortunately what we got, we're discussing today or what I have been saying, and I wrote in 2019 in my book, the mainstream media called conspiracy stuff. Now it's all been uh, substantiated with unbiased, robust reporting. So uh, the Taibbi article referenced an MI6-linked organization uh, in London that was basically um, setting me up. Now, this organization hired me after I left the Ben Carson campaign for a couple months in London. I didn't understand really what that was about. I was an advisor of the energy industry. They wanted me some sort of director of energy. Met some interesting people, a lot of reporters from the Financial Times, some diplomats, some American diplomats, Very in just over three weeks of being there. When I tell this organization I'm leaving and I'm going to be working for Donald Trump's campaign, that's when you could see the wheels in their heads start spinning. That's when individuals who really have never been uh, scrutinized, like I'm about to explain to you, started to tell me, oh, this is a bad idea. What are you doing? Um, you shouldn't do that. You have a promising career and this and that. But if you're serious about it, before you go, we're going to invite you to go to Rome to meet some interesting people now. The head of this organization, which was the London Center for International Law Practice, uh, was a woman named Arvinder Sambe. Now, this woman is incredibly important because in the spring of 2016, when I was in London, and I'm, a, I guess, a newly hired person at this organization, she seemed like a middle-aged professional lawyer. That's all I knew about her, that she wanted me to go to Rome to meet people. This woman... I learned later, actually worked with Bob Mueller, the infamous Bob Mueller, after 9-11, and was a chief, apparently, defense counsel of some nature to the, uh, uh, the MI6 in the UK. The British so, Intelligence Service, right? The British Intelligence Service. So the, the point I'm making is here that everything leading up to my infamous meeting with Joseph Mifsud in Rome, that the individual who is the genesis of the entire scandal actually begins and ends in London through an MI6, reportedly, organization. Um, then I go to Rome, to Link Campus, uh, where I'm presented from the ex-Italian uh, foreign minister to meet this person, Joseph Mitza. Now, think about what I just said. An MI6-connected organization, the lawyer who's connected to Bob Mueller, 
introduces me to uh, the ex-Italian Ford minister in Rome at a university called Link Campus, which David Ignatius of the Washington Post has reported on, and it's called a spy school. Uh, the CIA trains there, apparently Italian intelligence trains there. And when I was there uh, at this uh, symposium, you had the opposition of Libya at a time when Obama decimated Libya. It was divided among two warring factions. Uh, and their uh, uh, their opposition was there having a conference and a lot of Italian uh, officials were there. So that's how the entire initial meeting happened. And mind you, Dinesh, and this is incredibly important for your viewers and you to understand, all this happened before the Washington Post even released my name that I was going to be joining the Trump campaign. So you can understand how involved and how watched I was, and I'm certain others were, leading up to the infamous uh, spontaneous investigation launch in July of 2016. I mean, George, that is fascinating in itself. And what also fascinates me is the way in which these intelligence agencies operate through the infrastructure of universities, think tanks, they, they organize symposia and conferences to the naive outsider, it would appear like prominent figures are having a open-minded discussion uh, of what's happening in Libya, for example. But in reality, there's always a kind of subtext to what's going on. Now, you are approached by not just Mifsud, but multiple figures, and, and they're all trying to sort of lure you into saying something that's not true, namely, what are your dealings with with the Russians? Like, are you collaborating with the Russians? Now, you aren't collaborating with the Russians, but they're trying to get you to say you are. And they are implanting suggestions that they will subsequently sort of attribute to you. I want to go into the mechanics of how does that work? Talk about how those conversations take place. What did they say? What do you say? What are they trying to pin on you? So basically, diplomacy is really mostly about gossip, right? You're you're considered, I mean, I've met diplomats from all around the world, including in my current business uh, that I'm in now. Uh, it's, it's a lot of gossip. It's about, you know, what's this happening, that country, that leader, et cetera, et cetera. Et cetera. And um, you're meeting basically at these swanky, posh, you know, lounges, restaurants, and Mayfair in London, or in Georgetown and Washington, or, uh, you know, in the center of, uh, you know, by the trap, by, um, the Piazza di Spagna in Rome, you know, we're, we're talking uh, these type of areas. And you sit there, people are always probing you for information. What are your motivations? What's your background? Um, who do you like? Who don't you like? Where are you at an emotional level? So this is really, and it happened with probably every government I, I talked to with, you know, when I, was, when I was on this campaign. And now when it comes to the spies, it just goes a step further. They're just really there to probably wear a wire against you and lead a conversation in the direction that you would not have ever started. For example, with Mifsud, it was all, I've never been to Russia to this day, Dinesh. I've never met a Russian official to this day, Dinesh. And I have actually no interest in going to Russia or having discussions with Russian officials. Yet, when one of these operatives are trying to set you up, they bring in a rumor. For example, oh, did you hear about? Hillary's emails, which were obviously speculated all around the world at that time. Oh, what do you think about this? Did you know that I had a high-level meeting in Russia and they told me that uh, they stole her emails, George? What do you think about that? And you're just dumbfounded. 
you have a bomb dropped on you, you become a target yourself, and you don't know what to do. So I believe, and I explained this in the book, and I think you and I have discussed this in the past, the point of this meeting with Mifsud and others was to plant, to make me a ticking time bomb within a campaign. So I was essentially the bomb that at any moment they could trigger and destroy the apparatus. Unfortunately for them, it failed because this information that Mitzvah told me was then never subsequently repeated to one, anyone on the Trump campaign, or two, even to this Australian diplomat that they tried to fabricate the situation around me. And I could get into that a little bit more. Well, let's talk about something that's closely related. There was an Australian diplomat. There was a sort of a if I remember, there was an operative who was, who was an Oxford professor, but still had deep ties with intelligence agencies, both in the U.S. and in Britain. I want to talk about the guy, the so-called guy posing as an Israeli businessman who gave you money to do a research project, but in fact was setting you up and you returned to the U.S. and Basically, there's a trap sprung there. You are, they stop you, they search your bags, they've got the media present, they're looking for the money in the suitcase, but you didn't bring it with you so they were, so that their, their, their scheme failed. I mean, this is just so, this is right out of like James Bond. Talk about that episode. Absolutely. And then that's just, just a quick point about the Australian and this uh, other uh, Cambridge professor that was moonlighting as a CIA asset. Just look at, I, I just simply want your viewers to Google Alexander Downer, this Australian diplomat, and look at the spine scandal that he actually embroiled himself in at his government that had nothing to do with me or Trump. It actually had to do with East Timor, where he was actually, where he was spying on that government and it created a diplomatic crisis. It's in the Financial Times. It's not in a blog. So also look at this individual's connections to Palakis the private intelligence organization, which Stefan Halper, the other assets involved in my story, was also connected to in Mayfair in London. So just understand that we're not talking about random diplomats here. Uh, and it goes to the heart of uh, this, the scandal that Taibbi reported about the conspiracy to defraud the U.S. government and Trump campaign. Going to the $10,000 setup, what we have discussed here so far, Dinesh, is a sequence of events that was an absolute and total fabrication and setup of me from day one. The entire process was as if it was already laid out by a Hollywood scriptwriter that this is day one, and the end is going to result in this entrapment scheme with $10,000. Now, after I leave the Trump transition in January 2017, I go back into my private consulting business, which was energy. An Israeli, quote-unquote, businessman, quote-unquote, oil executive, says, hey, George, uh, you know, I saw that you were working on this campaign. I know you published in many Israeli newspapers about the energy sector there. I'd like to bring you to Israel and we could discuss uh, some business. Obviously, you know, it's, it was normal for me at the time to travel like that and uh, to have these type of meetings. Now, the difference between my normal meetings and this meeting was that I go into a hotel and I'm presented with $10,000 in cash without any contract any real remuneration plan of what services I would be providing. And it was in that moment, uh, Dinesh, <clears throat> that I said, okay, I've already been interviewed by the FBI. Uh, they were questioning some things about what me and what my, their suspicions were. And now it looks like they're trying to frame me 
to substantiate what their confirmation bias was, that I was some sort of person that was designated to be a target or a fake spy or something, the way they were trying to present me in the media. I take the money because, of course, I'm in a foreign country. I don't speak the language. I don't know what this person's motivations are, whether they're dangerous. And I give it to a lawyer that I had in Athens at the time. As I return back to the United States, I'm intercepted by eight agents rummaging through my luggage with very angry looks on their face, expecting to find the money. They didn't. They didn't know what to do with me. And that's why their entire case at that point moving forward collapsed. So they were trying, I mean, it seems quite obvious that there was a, there was a scheme to frame you. If you had the money, you would probably been, have been on the front page of the New York Times. You would have led the headline with the evening news. Trump, former Trump official caught with $10,000 of cash. And of course, as you say, there's no way for you to account for the money because there was no contract. And so you would have been, quote, caught red-handed, and yet this would be nothing more than one more scheme on the part of the police state to, to nail you. And, and, and would you close out, George, by, I mean, isn't this ultimately all about Trump? Uh, so that it wasn't that they were after you per se, but you were a vehicle for them to discredit uh, a, a Trump and to discredit a movement behind Trump. Well, Tanesh, I, I, I said this uh, a lot, and this was really about destroying a movement. Of course, I was not the beginning and the end. Uh, neither was General Flynn, Paul Manafort, Carter Page, Roger Stone, even President Trump. This was mostly and overwhelmingly about the ideology of MAGA, and that is the, di the diametrically opposed viewpoints that that is with the globalist agenda uh, around the world. And in 2016, the globalist agenda was in full throttle. You had Brexit, which was raging. You had uh, the pre-planned or the predetermined idea, I believe, to start war between NATO and Russia, or at least this conflict that we're seeing with Russia. You had the Trans-Pacific Partnership. And Donald Trump stood in the way of all those. He endorsed Brexit. Then the UK got out. The British were very upset about that, especially during my meetings with them. You had the Trans-Pacific Partnership, which, of course, Australia and China would have led this new global trade architecture while decimating U.S. industries. And, of course, why Trump was so prescient in seeking the United States to get out of. So it was this type of uh, idea and his populism and economic nationalist tones, undertones that really set him in the crosshairs himself of the deep state and that's exactly why they took him down they wanted to subvert the will of the people and to tell over 75 to 80 million americans you voted for the wrong person these ideas are dangerous only the person colluding with the russians could have these type of ideas that want to reinforce your borders want to bring sovereignty back want to bring your jobs back not start world war three only a bad person like trump could have those type of ideas it failed because Dinesh, people like yourself, myself, the president, fought back. The American people never allowed the wool to be pulled over their eyes. And I believe the MAGA movement as a result today is stronger than ever. Myself, the president, fought back. The American people never allowed the wool to be pulled over their eyes. And I believe the MAGA movement as a result today is stronger than ever. That's why all these indictments are not working against President Trump. These are people see through the corruption and it backfired and uh, I think the Democrats should be more, more, and more panicky.
I mean, the sickening thing is that they're still trying in one way or another to do the same thing. Their, their scheme may be different. It may be various forms of lawfare now. But all of this really continues. And uh, the story is rivetingly told in, in George's book, which I highly recommend, Deep State Target, How I Got Caught in the Crosshairs of the Plot to Bring Down President Trump. George, thank you very much for joining me. Thank you so much, Sinesh. It was a real pleasure. So here we are, guys. We're back with Wendy's Boutique, wendyslimited.com, wendyslimited.com, and the hottest boutique couture online, boutique supremacy online, Wendy's Boutique. So we've got to remind you guys, wendyslimited.com, our great sponsor. Please go and support her and support uh, all the hardworking folks over there that are trying to bring you the best fashion design and designer brand name labels anywhere. So we just have to remind you that wendyslimited.com, Wendy's Limited.com is where you need to go.